started off as an innocent prank that erupted in savage violence. I'm gonna kill him! Jake, huh? <laughs> you think she had fun when she filled her car with garbage, huh? <laughs> Shut up, Red. What are you gonna do about it? All right, girls. your sister, Brenda. The police are doing everything they can. But she shouldn't have been there in the first place. Charlene, I, I love her so much. What am I going to do if Heather dies? We'll meet you guys at the top. Sure you're not going to hurt her, right, Jake? Isn't that what I said? Brenda, you can't take the whole world on by yourself. You don't know anything. Justice for all, justice for all. You get what you give when you go the law. For God's sake, it wasn't my fault. Hey, what is it? Wait a minute, man. I don't like it. Something's weird. What's the matter, boy? Lose your nerve? What a shame. <laughs> We're gonna play a little game, baby. Hey, Red! She came loaded for bear. No! No! Oh my! I missed, and I did so want to see you bleed to death. You pay for your crime. Your judgment will stand. My back's to the wall. It's out of my hands. Go for your friend, uh. Baby. Ah! Linda Blair in Savage Streets, where the only law is an eye for an eye. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. 
And this is episode number 327, Savage Streets. And One Trashy Summer rolls on. This one may even be in contention for the trashiest of the year, yeah. right up alongside Kinjite. <laughs> also a leading download candidate for the year. Sure, yeah. A movie that I don't know if anyone has seen it. You gotta love the beautiful, eloquent dialogue. <laughs> yeah, for... Those of you who have been following us for a while and maybe have listened to previous One Trashy Summers, it does seem like most of the time we were just picking normal movies that were a little bit more sexual. Sure. For the most part. Yeah. Mainstream, Mm -hmm. a lot of them. Not a ton of legitimately trashy movies until this year. Yeah, we needed to pile them on. It was good to see uh, Linda Blair, though. I I really haven't seen a lot of her work. At a certain point in her career, <laughs> a.k.a. Beyond the Exorcist. Yeah, this one is a, a pretty famous movie amongst Grindhouse or Exploitation aficionados. And it has quite a reputation, I think deservedly so, because it is very sleazy and mm-hmm. kind of horrifying at totally. times. Yeah. But for various reasons, especially in the UK, it was banned and not available. And then the DVD didn't come out for a long time and there were like bootleg dvds and then somebody acquired the rights and then i don't know there was all kinds of lawsuits and different things it's not really widely known or talked about now but i wanted to do it because i watched it a couple years ago and thought holy shit this is a wild movie yeah so we'll get into that in a second. Let's remind everyone to follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod and make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Wherever you find us, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Please send us an email, greatestpod at gmail.com. We'd love to read your email on the show. Any kind of questions, comments, concerns, any topics you'd like to hear us babble on about whatever it's all welcome we'd love to hear from everyone we've been enjoying getting the questions i think and if you'd like a sticker or have a listener request anything like that you can reach out on twitter or email at those places and we can talk you through that process and finally find us on letterboxd zach1983 and matt crosby on there before we jump into the movie a couple of loose ends I wanted to tie up, even mm. though we're jumping back a couple of episodes with Kinjite. First of all, I forgot to mention, <laughs> there was a pretty funny little clip on YouTube I found of Siskel and Ebert, Worst of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> it was a fun topic. Let's just say Kinjite factored in that year. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was thinking about the arena football action mm-hmm. in Kinjite. Yeah. And all of those games and box scores that happened in decades past of a sport that no one ever cared about. Just wiped off the face of the planet. I was thinking... No legacy left behind. Yeah, I was thinking it's like Departed Blade Runner, like Tears and Rain. Exactly. (laughs) Arena (laughs) football box scores from 1989. Yeah. I'd also like to give a quick shout out to Theodore for claiming the Foxy Brown Region B blu-ray by the time you're hearing this episode you should already have it so let's get into savage streets 1984 directed by danny steinman written by steinman and norman yanamoto 
Producer John Strong actually did an uncredited rewrite as well. Oh, how about that? The budget for the film was somewhere between $1.2 and $2 million, and I was unable to really tell. For that uncredited rewrite, do you think he was touching up the dialogue or more focused on the story? I, I got to tell you, I don't think I'd be too proud to put my name <laughs> to the dialogue of this movie. It was probably a both. Yeah. And I, yeah, I couldn't find anything on the box office, so I don't really know. I mean, if you take my name off of it, I'm willing to throw as many profanity laden diatribes as as you want so for those of you who have not seen the movie which i'm sure is most of you Mm -hmm. it is not available to stream anywhere how about that not even to pay for so this is a blu-ray dvd only unless you're okay with watching the edited versions that are on youtube because the full film is on youtube essentially but there's about eight minutes cut out probably stuff that they feel like would get the video pulled. I guess they're not worried about the copyright, yeah. just the nudity or whatever. So well, you can find it on YouTube if you'd like to watch it, but I recommend checking out the the actual film. I don't think anybody's coming over to chase down the copyright on this one. I don't know. There was a situation where CineFamily had been doing wow. screenings of this, and they got told to knock it off by the person. Oh, okay. It. Wow. That was actually in the, the research, because the rights for this movie are kind of weird and confusing, I guess. So I can't provide a specific number on how successful the film was box office-wise, but it did open in Omaha, Nebraska on June 29th, 1984, and subsequently screened in Detroit and several other southern Michigan cities on July 6th, 1984. What a rollout. Where it earned $400,000 during its opening weekend. The strategic Midwest rollout? I think they used to open movies in more random places sometimes, because I know that one of the Phantasm movies, like the third or fourth one, whichever one really wasn't in theaters it, it played in st louis and i'd love to Baton rouge or something live in that universe where random small movies are just opening well i think they just pick event. a market and then see how it tests yeah because back then movies weren't always wide released i don't know if people re- really realize that there were a few movies that were huge blockbuster type movies like your star wars or whatever that would open everywhere but yep. a lot of movies even ones that were popular and mainstream and regular studios, a lot of them didn't open everywhere at once. Sometimes they would do sort of a a rolling thing where they would kind of go around the country and open in a wave. Nowadays, it's a lot more limited release, and then they'll pick more theaters or whatever. And It was kind of like that, but it wasn't an Oscars thing or anything like that. It was just sort of the way a lot of movies operated. And nowadays... Most things that open wide open yeah. everywhere, but it used to not really be like that as I much. Know. Remember, they were supposed to open or have the premiere of Jack Reacher here. Yeah. Then, like the Sandy Hook stuff happened, and they just canceled it. Right. But that was like cool, even though that's a movie that I would never really care about. It's just such a unique thing to have happen. Based on it making four hundred thousand its opening week, I feel like this movie actually probably did make a small profit considering how successful it was in some of the other countries. It was a major commercial success in South America, ranking as one of the highest-earning films in Mexico for the first half of 1985, outperforming the box office American hits Ghostbusters and Beverly Hills Cop. The film ranked number one at the box office in Argentina during the first two weeks of its release. (laughs) In the years since its initial release, Savage Streets has developed a cult following, 
and has been exhibited at various horror and exploitation film revival screenings, including at the New Beverly and America Cinematheque. Film scholar Alexandra Heller Nichols cites Savage Streets alongside Miss 45 and Positive ID as one of a series of rape and revenge films produced in the 80s that featured vampish and overtly sexualized models of agency for abused women. Writer Art Tavana likens the film to a feminist version of Michael Winner's Death Wish. Mm. Film critic Mark Kermode notes that Savage Street contains prominent elements of the contemporary slasher film, which it does. It's this weird hybrid movie. Everything about it is very chaotic. It's very grindhousey, very raw. Mm-hmm. Everything f- screams sleazy. The dialogue <laughs> is very blue, <laughs> to say the least. Graphic dialogue. But in a, like a nastier way. Yeah, yeah. You it's can't strange. help but laugh because it's just so over the top. They're not breaking records like Wolf of Wall Street or something like that, but the language is a little scuzzier mm-hmm. even than that. It's not just repeating the F word over and over. There's a real nasty edge to the stuff they're saying, a lot of slurs and words that people don't use anymore. <laughs> Not surprisingly, making Savage Streets was not all fun and games and smooth sailing. Principal photography occurred in Los Angeles on a budget of around $2 million and was completed in February of 84. Tom DeSimone began as director, but he was subsequently fired by the producer, after which Danny Steinman, whose previous directorial credit was the slasher film The Unseen, was hired as oh. his replacement. I think I have that, but I haven't watched. Steinman made his debut in film as a writer-director of High Rise from 1973, a hardcore porno film. Oh, how about that? But he quickly transitioned into more mainstream Hollywood fare. Like this? His most known and successful project was also his last as a director, and it came the year after Savage Streets. And that film would be Friday the 13th, A New Beginning Mm. from 1985, which was the fifth film in that series. In fact, that biology teacher, the one with the little mustache in this movie, he's in that movie too. He's like that cokehead guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that scene. He looks like the guy who used to be the Micro Machines guy, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that's the same guy. (laughs) (laughs) How about that for a reference? You remember that guy? Yeah. He talked really fast. I I don't think it's the same guy, but it looks like him. Commenting on how he became to be involved with the film, Steinman said, I was working on a miniseries for Playboy Television starring Britt Eklund. Oh. When I got a call from a good friend of mine, Billy Fine, he was in big trouble. The picture that he was producing with Linda Blair was to begin literally tomorrow. Problem was, he'd just fired the director. Would I take over? Playboy understood I was free to go. (laughs) Playboy was like, yeah, who cares? (laughs) We don't even know what's going on with this project. The shooting of Savage Streets was troubled. According to Blair and Steinman, the production was shut down approximately two weeks after filming began, attributed to funding issues. Steinman recounted that Fine clashed with him on the set and alleged that Fine's original financing for the film had been sourced from mobsters. (laughs) After Fine left the project, producer John Strong became involved and filming was able to resume. According to Steinman, he and Strong began to clash on the set toward the end of the film production recounting he was employed to protect the investors i had agreed with their decision that john would act on their behalf and could do nothing to counteract them 
John would look in the camera on most shots, talk with the actors, and always question me about everything. <laughs> the film's screenplay was reworked throughout the filming process, and Steinman disagreed with Strong's insistence that the finale feature Blair's character exacting revenge alone, which Steinman felt was unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> He's the director of the movie, and he's yeah. like, the ending of this is unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. it's like, what do you think a guy has to do to get fired off a project like this? Who knows? Yeah. There was a lot of cocaine and ego right. going around. <laughs> ego that was undeserved by <laughs> a lot of these people. <laughs> My vision. So what the fuck is Savage Streets? What is this movie Well, let's start. that we're talking about? Great title. Anytime you get that alliteration in the mix. Yeah. You know? The synopsis is as follows. <laughs> a teenage vigilante seeks revenge on a group of violent thugs who raped her handicapped sister and killed her best friend. Oh, boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, some darkness. The one thing that I've noticed this year with One Trashy Summer is how much of a crutch rape is in these types of films. I always knew it was present Yeah. in a lot of these movies, but how often they go to it. Well... It's- kind of crazy i guess it always works as a good launching pad for revenge yeah and the rape revenge as weird as it sounds is its own subgenre. there True. is so much of it and this movie is very similar to i spit on your grave yep. in terms of how it's structured except the vigilante is not actually the one that was raped but still and more on hollywood boulevard than in the woods <laughs> yeah This is one of those movies, and we touched on it a little bit with Sleepaway Camp, although Sleepaway Camp is still kind of grounded in reality, but we've talked about it before, how in the 80s there was this very weird mixture of punk and metal and post-apocalyptic vibes to a lot of these movies where everything's covered in graffiti, everyone has piercings, mohawks, leather jackets. It's the warrior's world. Like clothespins or whatever through their... Razor blade earrings. <laughs> yeah. It's very weird. In a strange way, I would compare it to the universe that Kinjite seeks to make us believe is real. Mm-hmm. This is the Everyone more ex- goes to arena football games. <laughs> this is the more extreme version yeah. of that, where there's a visual element to it. It's not just moral decay and moral rot. There's an actual visual mm-hmm. accompaniment, usually in the form of dyed hair, mohawks. A lot of hanging out at abandoned factories and warehouses. <laughs> Getting in your convertible and heading to the industrial side of town where no one is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where you probably don't need permits to film a movie right. at night. <laughs> but what I mean in the sense of Kinjite is it's this immoral world with immoral thugs and rapists and murderers injected into the aesthetic of that graffitied universe of the 80s. And absolutely no morality in the film itself, and generally these films would kind of have that blatant hypocrisy of, oh, we're exposing this. This is the moral rot of the 1980s people. We're just showing you what it's like out there on the streets. You don't know in your comfy suburban house. That's right. But then in reality, though, these are just exploitation films that are reveling in it because it's the chance to do a lot of salacious, Mm -hmm. titillating material that is otherwise considered too trashy. Get a rise out of the audience. Yeah. In the U.S., the MPAA originally gave the film an X rating, which was successfully appealed by the producers on June 22, 1984. The central rape sequence remained truncated by the MPAA in the final cut, which was originally longer. Oh, good. 
Because as if it wasn't horrifying right. enough to watch. And we already have to like flash back to it. According to Steinman, I parentheses I add, the director. Yeah. The girl's torment was much more brutal. Each gang member took turns with her. It was probably overkill, and what's left is good enough. Okay. The film was banned in Australia due to excessive violence, and its original 93-minute cut was rejected by the British Board of Film Classification, who authorized only a highly edited 80-minute version. That's 13 minutes they cut out. <laughs> Savage Streets, I don't think it's a huge surprise to tell you, received largely unfavorable reviews from critics. You don't say. Who felt its depictions of rape and teenage violence were exploitative and crude, while Blair's lead performance was also harshly criticized. That's unfair. For her performance, Blair won the Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Actress. However, in the years since its initial release, Savage Streets has become a cult film. It's a little harsh. On Linda Blair, as I've said many times, the Razzies are a stupid thing, yeah. and it's mostly just for attention. They're not going to pick somebody that you haven't heard of. They want to pick someone that they can embarrass and that right. people know, and it's just a stupid thing. And they're thing. just picking so yeah, a name from a movie that would generally be considered bad. Yeah. I was telling you before we started recording that I found it funny that one of the things I read was a quote from a critic that had said something to the effect of it being a misstep for Blair and her mm -hmm. career. And I was wondering what that person was referring to. It seemed like she was on a path for about five or six years where this was what she was doing. These yep. were exploitation films. A lot of them were kind of like this. This one stands out to me as probably the sleaziest. And she's in two women in prison movies. She was in her Charles Bronson run. Kind of, yeah. It, yeah. Although it was kind of what she could get. I don't really agree with the concept of the Razzie Awards, but let's be honest, she's not exactly the greatest actress I've ever seen. Sure. She does bring a certain toughness and a vampy quality that yeah. works well with this character. And there's sort of always a meta weirdness around her, given the fact that she was in The Exorcist. Yeah, I did write that down somewhere in, in here, but you can hear that exorcist voice a couple yeah. of times and it is freaky <laughs> <laughs> it is unsettling there's a little hint of it i know that someone else did the voice for the most demonic parts of the mm -hmm. exorcist i remember talking about it when we did that episode but still some of it was her and <laughs> right and there's some of it you that's reminiscent that. yeah. this movie <laughs> the film opens with the old clothes changing gag where the person comes out in one outfit and then gets changed into another to go hang out with their friends or to actually go to school or whatever except with a twist here yeah it is usually a girl <laughs> and it's clothes that her parents won't let her wear because they're too revealing or something like that this guy's changing into something that's too embarrassing <laughs> yeah he just doesn't want his parents to know because he's embarrassed <laughs> that he dresses like this camo shirt and like aren't you 30 years old <laughs> vince Get a real job. <laughs> Why are you still in high school? Having to sneak out at night. So what happens is this guy, Vince, he comes outside, and his dad thinks he's wearing these conservative khakis and dress shirt kind of a thing, and then he so runs around the side of the house, and he switches into his leather jacket, his tough boy clothes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dad, I want to wear my tough boy clothes. <laughs> he never really looks in place with this gang, though. No. Which I guess makes sense. They yeah. wanted to get a guy that seemed like he was trying to fit in, but he right. couldn't. I don't know. 
they're an unruly gang. You know, some, not guys you want to hang out with. Some real street toughs. Yeah. Drinking, smoking, swearing, wearing leather. <laughs> Cigarettes being put out on their own hands for some reason. I know. Just real tough. I don't know what the ages of these other guys are supposed to be, but what would you say the average ages of this gang is in terms of the real-life actors? 33? I was thinking the range would be 34 to 51. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't even in the range. 33 is acceptable. Yeah. People did look older back then. Right. (laughs) So he may be 33, but I think he looks 34. The main dude from the group, his dad looks like he's 85. I don't consider Vince the main dude. Uh, okay. Well, he's not the leader. No, you mean no. Like in terms of main character. I guess like the focal point of the movie, yeah. Of the dudes, at least. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He at has the, an arc, at least. At the same time as the guy's night on the town, rebellious high school student Brenda, played by Linda Blair, who I think it must be pointed out, looks all of her. 25 years of age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair to say. <laughs> Playing a high schooler. Right. And I don't mean that in a bad way. No, everyone in this... There is no I one mean that looks that like in they're in high school. Yeah. development kind of a way. <laughs> There's nobody in high school that looks like this. <laughs> and that would be a trend at this high school. She spends the evening on Hollywood Boulevard with her group of friends known collectively as the Satins. We have Rachel, played by Deborah Blee. Stella, played by... I know Romeo, Francine, played by Lisa Freeman, Stevie, played by Marsha Carr, and Maria, played by Louisa Leshkin. It will be extremely crucial to keep all these characters straight. So, Matt, I hope you remember all their names. (laughs) Yeah, sort of a a Grease-type vibe going on here. Yeah. We've got the girl gang, the guy gang. Exactly. No summer fun, though. Right. I was actually thinking that when I was writing these notes. It's sort of the (laughs) anti-Grease, these two gangs. Yeah. Hanging out in their leather jackets. Accompanying the gals is Brenda's younger, innocent, deaf-mute sister, Heather, played by Linnea Quigley. Which is a weird wrinkle. Of whom Brenda has grown extremely protective following their father's death. What can we say about Quigley? Just She's a legend. A legend. <laughs> of these types of movies. There should she be a statue so of so many of yeah. them. The movies we've talked about already on this podcast that she was in sorority babes in the slimeball bolorama right. and silent night deadly night mm-hmm. her other most known films would be the return of the living dead and night, night of, the, of demons. the demons but she was in tons of low budget horror films pretty much all through the 80s into the 90s really an important figure in film history i did have a chance to meet her at a recent horror con but i didn't do hard it. hard pass just couldn't bear to yeah. have to go through those lines. And just, right. I don't know. But you can tell right away that Heather's supposed to be innocent because they have her dressed as like a 1950s schoolgirl compared to these other girls wearing leather and spikes and <laughs> whatever they're all wearing. <laughs> Tight clothes. You know what I mean. Totally. This is one of those movies that loves to play in that playground of exploiting the moral danger and decay in the L.A. Hollywood area. They want everyone to feel like the entire city is Skid Row. That's definitely the vibe of these types of movies that film in their own backyard and then act like that's just as scary as the New York City of the 80s, which was also a big location Mm -hmm. for this kind of stuff. So it's like sort of the West Coast version with all the porno theaters. Probably not quite comparable. Savage Streets falls during what 
we've been kind of dancing around this exploitation era of Linda Blair's career, which didn't really get started until after becoming a sex symbol in the film Roller Boogie in 1979, which was rated PG, but it definitely changed the way people looked at her, I guess, because then she posed for Playboy in 83. Some of the other films around this time, Hell Night, Mm, which is a horror film, Chained Heat, and then another women in prison film beyond Chained Heat called Red Heat. Yeah. (laughs) You had to have heat in prison. Going around with this new uh, personality. In this era, Blair received critical backlash and received five Razzie nominations. (laughs) I'd wear that as a badge of honor. To give you an idea of where things were at for Blair during this time, she actually appeared in a film called Savage Island one year after appearing (laughs) in this film called Savage Streets. So a lot of Savage-type movies going on. yeah. Sherry Curry was originally cast as Brenda, but was replaced by Blair. I kind of got the sense that they just replaced her when they had the chance to cast Blair. Right. Early on, we see Brenda taking an interest in the hunting crossbows and bear traps, which conveniently are being sold right on Hollywood Boulevard for some reason. There's also some very bad dubbing early on where the girls are talking, and it's not even close to synced up. You'll see that from time to time in this type of movie. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of times you're thinking, well, they probably really did only have one take. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. The guy's gang, meanwhile, is known as the Scars, which consists of Jake, Vince, who is the one we saw pulling the wool over his dad's eyes with the clothes change, Red and Fargo. I'm not really that interested in the actors who play these parts. God, no. Gives a shit. Yeah. They're all scumbags in the movie. Guys that are hard to look at and you'd never want to see in a movie again. Although I did see the guy that plays Fargo, the one who never wears a shirt. Yeah. He still appears in stuff and he was in Blonde. He has a look. Yeah. He's still out there. I mean, his look in the movie is wild. To your point, yeah, constant leather vest with no shirt ever. He kind of looks like Razor Ramon. Yeah. (laughs) Toothpick. Except an even hairier chest. The Scars deal drugs and harass young women. They're a general public nuisance. That's what we have. But, of course, they're going to escalate to a real threat Mm -hmm. soon throughout the course of the film. The Scars get a look at the girls walking along the street and then nearly run them down on a street corner in Jake's convertible or maybe Fargo's convertible. Not really sure whose car it is. They both seem like they own it at various points, causing Heather to fall to the ground and almost get run over. Brenda tells Jake she'd rather drown in a pool of vomit than go on a date with him. <laughs> Familiar. So now a rivalry begins. Yeah. That's all you really need to know. Heather is an innocent. I don't know why she's hanging around with this group of gals then, if she's so innocent. It does seem like a bad judgment by older sis to bring her around this crew. Yeah, because you never know what kind of trouble you're going to get mm-hmm. into, evidently. But nevertheless... Brenda's very protective of her, and then that's sort of what causes some consternation here. But while the girls are out enjoying themselves, the guys are in a parking lot somewhere harassing this guy who's out on a date. It's a shakedown. I guess he owes them money. He's into them for money for some kind of drugs or something. The guy's acting in line delivery. (laughs) 
I don't really know what to make of it. Was he aware the camera was on? That there I don't was know. This, something that needed to be happening? I know that the runtime is not lengthy for this movie, but it sort of feels like this could be cut. <laughs> Well, really that's the thing about this movie. There's probably about 40% of it that you could cut out. <laughs> <laughs> it really takes its time yeah, on a yeah. few of these things. I guess it's just to show you what they're up to before right. they get involved in this whole thing, just to illustrate that they are bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a gang that you're supposed to think is cool. So this guy's on a date. He seems like he's 40 years old, but I guess he's in high school, too. He's on, <laughs> He owes these guys money. The girl... She has no reaction to what's happening, even when she's being held by basically like around her breasts, which are ample. Yeah, they take her top off and yank her top off and molest her. Yeah, sexual assault happening all over the place. And she only looks mildly irritated. Yeah, she never says anything or makes a sound, really. Form of distress, but that's it. Yeah, just sort of rolling her eyes. The guy doesn't seem too upset either, but that seems to be the lack of emotion that he's putting in his delivery. Yeah. The girls are hanging out. They're picking up Playgirl, which I noticed had Kurt Russell on the cover. Yeah, I thought that part was cool. <laughs> it was kind of cool because then they open it and they're looking at one of the guy's dicks or whatever. And there's really no indication that they're actually looking at Kurt Russell, but they're talking about somebody who has such a huge dick and they're holding it up and Kurt Russell's the picture. I was like, that's a pretty cool shout out to have. I think so. Even if it's not you. I really just thought it was cool that they had copies of Playgirl in a movie and it was Kurt Russell on the cover. I'm like, all right, what a cool moment in time. <laughs> Yeah, to think. It used to be sort of a mainstream magazine, yeah. maybe. I don't know. Because it looked like a posed picture. It wasn't right. just some random picture. Later that night, the girls escalate the feud by taking Jake's convertible for a joyride before filling it with garbage and abandoning it on the street. The front of the Blu-ray and the tagline for the movie, a gang war of the sexes. Mm-hmm. Which makes me wonder, was gang warfare more enticing than the traditional rape revenge exploitation film because savage streets it does flirt kind of with the idea of a gang war yeah but it's really closer to a straight lone vigilante film a la i spit on your grave well because she doesn't really use anybody else no no just brenda and the feeling of the girls being a gang is really heavily emphasized in the beginning but that sort of fades over time where then they they feel stop like, wearing those matching yeah, jackets. <laughs> yeah. Then they just seem like girls that hang out sometimes. I wonder, what does a girl gang do in this world? We know what the guy gang does. They sell the drugs and then yeah. get, you know, rob people. The girl gang just loiters at random convenience stores waiting for the next issue of Playgirl to drop. Yeah. I don't know. I think that they made Savage Streets and then at some point along the way, something must have been going on with the news or some other yeah. movie, and they thought, maybe we'll emphasize the gang element more in the promotional materials. I would say that they get into fights in school and stuff, but really that's more of just a Brenda operation. Yeah, and it doesn't have anything to do with the other gang. Right. That's almost a side quest yeah. in the movie. <laughs> There's a lot of these weird little side things in this movie that don't have anything to do with anything. Right. Because you could cut all that out, too. Yeah, it does, that has doesn't nothing... really factor back in. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, 40% yeah. of this movie... <laughs> Not needed. And I think to some people, they would say 100% not needed. <laughs> I don't want to undersell it because I did just edit and so I was listening to the Kinjite episode fairly recently. Mm-hmm. And we did really emphasize how horrific and trashy and beyond totally. redemption we felt it was. Yeah. I don't want to undersell this movie and act like it's all a big laugh. This movie is 
scummy and totally and gross and hard to watch at some parts. Yeah, it really revels in in some of the stuff more than your typical rape revenge movie, right? Because unfortunately, part of that genre is going to have to feature the sexual assault and how you do that and how tasteful that is and what that conceals from the audience. This one, it really has that nastiness. And there was the quote I read earlier from the critic comparing it a little to Death Wish. And it does kind of have a little bit of that DNA mixed into it because Death Wish is another one, especially the sequels that revel in the originating action, Mm -hmm. the original sexual assault that kicks off what's going on and really kind of exploit that. And this movie, yeah, we should warn you that if you're afraid that you would be offended or upset by things like that, then please do not watch this movie. Totally. You have to be pretty jaded like us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, you did like the gym class scene a lot. I did, yeah. Really, the type of activity that gets your metabolism going, works up a real sweat. It's just to be walking just in place. Walking in place and moving and then, your shoulders. Yeah, moving your shoulders from side to side. With the gym teacher being a with drill sergeant yelling at <laughs> yeah. them about sucking your guts. Still only being able to inspire minimal effort from the class. <laughs> the principal of the school, Principal Underwood, is played by a legitimate actor, John Vernon, who people would know maybe from Dirty Harry, Animal House, tons of huge movies. A completely appropriate school principal. He's really only in a few scenes, but they're all hilarious. Yeah, he steals the show every time. He's supposed to be as sleazy, really, as the students. Hey, Fad. Hey. How you doing, man? Hey. It's good to see you. Hey, look at those eyes. eyes. Where you been? You been doing some of our blow, huh? Huh? Where the fuck have you been? And I got your money, Jake. I'll have it here tomorrow. It ain't good enough. I want the blow and the money here in one hour. That's 60 minutes. You got that? I got it, Jake. Douchebag. (laughs) Get the hell back to class. Who the fuck is this asshole? Vince! What are you doing with these guys? He's sick, man. You're bringing them home. You sick, Vince? Yeah, man, he's got the clap. (laughs) (laughs) Go fuck an iceberg. (laughs) I don't want to see any of you guys around my schoolyard. You or any of your scum. Oh, man, who the fuck are you? The principal? That's right! And as for you, Vince, you want to trash your life, go ahead. But do it on your own time, not mine. You hear that? Yes, sir. Now, why don't you take your faggot asses out of here before I feed him to the cops? In his first scene, he tells Jake to fuck an iceberg. (laughs) And it also provides some clarity for the viewers, because at this point, we're a little confused. Could all of the scars really be in high school? There's no way, right? Well, they aren't. Vince, the guy we saw hide from his father, the clothes and stuff, 
He's in school, as are the girls who are in the satins. However, Jake, Red, and Fargo are not in school at this point, but have entered it on drug business. In a pre-Columbine world, people just Mm -hmm. walking in and out of the school. Yeah. The principal takes note and makes a comment. Yeah, there's some guy that they're still harassing for the money. It's the same guy from the previous night. They're trying to get the money from him. But I don't know. I would say that probably the highlight of... John Vernon's first scene as the principal is him dropping a homophobic slur. Yeah, that was a little bit of a shock. (laughs) No one in this movie uses appropriate language. It's insane. Later in the movie, he'll tell Brenda that she has a pretty face and a good figure. (laughs) So he doesn't understand what the problem is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think this principal would be fired by the end of one of his first sentences. (laughs) By the time you finish that sentence, yeah. you're fired. Instead of leaving the school after the confrontation with Underwood, the scars linger, ogling the cheerleaders and drinking. When Heather is spotted obliviously skipping around campus, Jake sees an opportunity for mm. revenge at what happened to their car. There's yeah. a lot of things developing all at once. We're cutting back and totally. forth. There's a rivalry between Brenda and the head cheerleader, Cindy. Over the, Cindy's boyfriend? Yeah, the affection of this doofus named Wes. <laughs> yeah. Although Brenda is more just caught up in the fact that Wes is into her. Yeah, she doesn't even care or yeah. like him. But I do love his confidence and yeah. the way he just goes up to Brenda and he's like, I think you're exciting. <laughs> I never know what you're going to do. <laughs> Which, yeah, in all honesty, approach. is dead on. Yeah, <laughs> She seems like a real live wire. But yeah. From a story standpoint, they had to find a way to distract all these other girls. So they're caught up in this uh, yeah. little bit of action happening in the women's locker room. Which well, seems Were you completely... expecting this fight to escalate to <laughs> where it goes? I, I, I can't tell you that I was expecting most of the things that happened in this movie <laughs> to happen. But yeah, in what's this totally cut straight from life high school women's locker room scene? Yeah. For those of you who listen to every episode, including the Give Us a Seconds, we have... Christy Summers playing Cindy's friend, Valerie. She was the stewardess in the episode of Full House we yeah. did back in December, which I may have mentioned that she was in Savage Streets when we talked about it. <laughs> that probably like was not something that resonated with me at the time. Or anyone. It yeah. resonated with no people. <laughs> yeah, it's a gratuitous group shower scene. It's supposed to be a high school gym type situation, but it, it feels more reminiscent of women in prison. How yeah, big the shower is. Yeah. I love that they're just full naked, full lathered up in soap from head to toe. It's like a full-on shower after that strenuous workout of standing yeah. in place. This part of it is actually longer than the gym class. <laughs> it's absolutely nuts that these girls are supposed to be in high school. That's all I'll say. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's absurd. One of the girls in the group, the Satins, Francine, is in the middle of planning a wedding. <laughs> Just another thing that just comes up where you're like, oh, <laughs> wow, okay. getting married. That's happening now. The language everyone's using, we've already talked about it, but a lot a lot of uses of the word cunt and the totally. F slur for oh, yeah. homosexual. The thing between Brenda and Cindy devolves into a full-blown catfight in the showers. There's a big circle of other girls around them, and a lot of them in various stages of undress, but there's a couple of fully naked girls in the background who then start fighting on their own for oh, some I know. reason, yeah, unexplained. <laughs> I don't know who they are. Violence is just in the air. 
everyone just loves insulting each other as much as they can. Like a lot of verbal abuse going on. You stupid slut, you motherfucking moron. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's really, really trashy dialogue. Yeah. I would say the language is definitely worse than Kinjite. Absolutely. If we're trying to compare yeah. what's the trashiest movie of the summer so mm-hmm. far. While the Satins are in the locker room getting dressed after gym class and then watching Brenda get into a fight, Heather is left unattended and all alone in the gymnasium. I was kind of confused as to what is happening right now. Is this supposed to be during school or after school? Why doesn't Heather have class too? Or are these girls having gym class as their last period of the day and instead of going the fuck home, they're all fighting in a locker room i don't, I don't understand know. what's going on yeah I, why were the cheerleaders practicing during this time it is hard to say heather i guess is supposed to be a ballerina so she does this dance by herself and it really symbolizes her naive innocence i guess which, and then it's going to be juxtaposed yeah. against something horrific about to happen i know which is makes it all the more rough yeah and the way they do it too is particularly evil with that one guy, Red, really gaining her trust. I know. And conversing with her and being nice to her and then turning on a dime. Oof. Jake has his awful cohorts drag Heather to the bathroom and then brutally rape and beat her. It's a gang rape. It's really fucking daunting. Yeah, it's and tough to watch. And one of the more grotesque rape scenes I've ever seen. This is one of the first times in the history of this podcast where in the midst of doing the notes, I was thinking, should we really do this movie? Yeah. Is this too much? It is pretty fucking grim. Even for these exploitation movies, which were supposed to be kind of sleazy fun. This is less fun. Yeah. There's not really a ton of fun in this movie. I think it could be fun because of the language and some of the stuff that happens later. The language is fun. (laughs) The cat fight in the shower yeah. and that kind of stuff was fun, too. Brenda getting revenge is fun. Kind of, but yeah, it's pretty grim because if you were to ask me before, would we do I Spit on Your Grave on the podcast? That is grim. I would have probably said, no way, we're never going to do that. Right, but so then we did something that it inspired. Yeah, we did yeah. kind of a an urban version right. instead of the rural version. This movie's so weird and... That combination of the the Kinjite morality and the 1980s mm-hmm. graffiti aesthetic with that post-apocalyptic, what the fuck is going on? Where is the police? Where is authority? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Where the, that genre, it just feels like it exists on another planet. Because I think aesthetically, you could draw comparisons to some of the John Carpenter films or Return of the Living Dead or... The Warriors, even. For all sure, these different yeah. things like that. But they just have to take it way too far. <laughs> I know. It's kind of like Kinjite, where you're kind of like, if you would have just like not taken it so far a couple times, this movie wouldn't be as so soul-crushing to watch. <laughs> By the way, we're going to need a real cleanse after One Trashy Summer's over, so we'll be doing silence after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the BBFC... British Board of Film Classification demanded a total of 24 minutes worth of cuts to the film before its release in the UK. At the time, the BBFC had virtually a zero-tolerance policy to sexual violence and the use of a crossbow, which is funny (laughs) to just throw that on there, too. Yeah. (laughs) 
some crossbow play involved. As mentioned, this film originally was rated X. Heather's rape scene was heavily cut for the R rating. It doesn't feel heavily cut. It feels like they left everything. Originally, the scene was a lot longer and more brutal with all gang members taking turns raping her, and she was originally hit three times by Jake instead of just one like in the final version. I'm okay with this being trimmed down. According to everyone involved, the rape scene was the toughest scene to film. Many of the actors pointed out in interviews that Linnea Quigley, who played the character being raped, was the most composed of the performers during that sequence. But Quigley herself told Femme Fatale's magazine that it felt very scary and far too real because the guys who played the assailants were getting way too much into character. Oy. Whatever that means. It I don't want to hear about good. that. Yeah. Yeah, you can kind of sense that even more so before they drag her to the bathroom that part in the gym they feel like real out of control totally oof yeah it's a rough scene obviously the reason why they do this in these types of films is to make the revenge feel as sweet as possible and you do want to see it of course but they really just have to make every single aspect of it so much darker than you would want because of course she's deaf and mute and so she can't cry for help and then that leads to the whole scene with Brenda crying about it and saying that over and over. And you're like, man, this is just like really I know. depressing. <laughs> They're really driving it home how horrible this was. Get that goddamn thing out of your mouth. Please stop crying, Miss Clark. Would you please stop crying? Thank you. Now blow your nose and get the hell out of here. Brenda, you give me nothing but grief. I won't have it. God damn it, I simply will not have it. And I'm warning you for the last time. You know, I don't understand it. You're a bright girl. You got a pretty face. A good figure. After school, the rest of the girls find Heather unconscious in the bathroom, and she is hospitalized in a coma. We both got a kick out of the hospital being called Doctor's Hospital. (laughs) But I looked it up, and it is real. And there is one in Los Angeles. I know. It just it sounds crazy. But speaking of like <laughs> unnecessary footage, like it's a quick cut to the doctor's hospital sign and then they're in the hospital room. If you're just in the hospital room, we get where you are. <laughs> I know. When you look at the runtime of this movie and it's an hour and 33 minutes, you're thinking, why isn't this an hour and 25 minutes? Yeah. Why did they have to pad this out? <laughs> There's certainly not an hour and 33 minutes worth of material in the movie. I did think it was kind of darkly comedic that their mom is there, but then she's like, I have to go to work. (laughs) And then just never seen again. Except at the end where they get the call. Oh, yeah. Mom doesn't really put in that much of an appearance. She's like, all right, I was here. Give her my love when she wakes up. (laughs) (laughs) Leaving Brenda to carry the burden, shoulder that weight. For some reason, even after what happened to Heather, the Satins go clubbing that very same night. And I couldn't help but be reminded a little bit of Kanjite because Brenda starts talking about how the school won't do anything substantial. And as Brenda puts it, even the cops are a bunch of pussies. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting ramped up. This is that nightmare. This is that state of, 
I have to work outside the law because the law and society mm-hmm. and authority, they're not doing it. They're not well, doing yeah, enough. Well, yeah, you don't feel like there's any sort of investigation going on. No. The cops do not have a major presence in this right. film, even yeah. though they obviously should. <laughs> yeah. Nobody investigates anything, ever. A deaf mute girl was beaten and raped and put into the hospital. You don't see cop one not a on that campus. Not a question to be asked. <laughs> and then it gets worse later. It's not a fun night at the disco. Brenda is very emotional. Perhaps some of the emotional heft is undercut by the scene's location and their wardrobes. <laughs> How about this club that they hang out in, though? The MX or whatever? MX Club, yeah. MX Club, yeah. You think it's uh, two for Tuesdays going on? Probably. Yeah. I kept thinking they were saying Amex Club <laughs> for the longest time. Well, what gives it away is the girl that works there wearing a shirt that just says MX. Yeah, I noticed it eventually. Yeah. I picked up on it. But I didn't realize they were actually naming a specific place. I thought they were just saying club or club mm-hmm. or whatever, and then... Oh, wait, Amex, Amex, and then no, Amex. (laughs) You can notice that out of the scars, Vince is having second thoughts regarding a life of crime. Yeah, not feeling great about the path he's on. He's really troubled by what happened with Heather. Rightfully so. Even though it is very much like I Spit on Your Grave, which if you haven't seen it, what I'm about to reference will make it sound... Like the most horrific movie ever made, and maybe it is. It very well could be. But in that film, the group of rapists forces a mentally challenged young man to be the first. And in this movie, the scars take their weak little underling guy, Vince, and really force him to do it. To the point where they're stripping off Vince's clothes in a very disturbing moment. So yeah, they do borrow a lot from I Spit on Your Grave. But regardless of him being the first one, he, I guess, is not quite as psychotic as his scar brethren because he at least is showing he has a little bit of human decency and feeling bad about it. He's starting to deal with his own internal struggle now. Of course, the night takes a violent turn when the scars show up at the same club and start making trouble. A brawl erupts when, unbeknownst to Brenda and the other girls, the Scars begin sexually harassing Francine, who we have just found out is also pregnant, in addition to being the one that is getting married. Now, I'm going to pause that real quick. Mm -hmm. When they were first talking about her being pregnant, I originally thought that she was telling Brenda that she had lied. I was thinking that, too, that she told them that, and that's why they're getting married, but she just made it up. But yeah, watching it a second time, that's not what they're saying. But yeah, she is actually pregnant. That is confirmed Mm -hmm. later. But yeah, I was thinking the first time that that's how they were making it sound. It's not the most coherent film of all time. It's a little confusing sometimes what they're saying. Aren't they kind of laughing about it? Yeah, as if she pulled a fast one. Yeah, yeah. Or something. The Scars beat up a couple of white knights who get involved, but when Red... Drops a switchblade. Francine grabs it and slashes Jake just as everything is being broken up. She's not too happy about that. No. I'm not blaming the girls at all. But unfortunately, the way these things keep happening, it seems like they're always the one that gets the last thing in, which is what keeps it going and escalating Mm -hmm. it and escalating it back and forth. It's sort of like Henry Bauer's gang and It and the Losers Club. Mm -hmm. The losers keep getting the upper hand, so it keeps escalating higher and higher. (laughs) Yeah, until Switchblade is involved. 
A couple of the satins remind me a lot of a young Gina Gershon. Yeah. I really wish she was in this movie. That would be awesome. That would be the cherry on top of yeah. a Sunday here if Gina Gershon was in this movie. <laughs> that would take it from a B to an A. I loved their English class, and I really loved this fucking English teacher. Yeah, I could have spent more time in this part of the world. She seemed incredibly sweet. Mm-hmm. She's actually kind and concerned about Brenda's sister, which nobody else ever. Only person in the world is. All of the it's the other teachers and the principal are sort of like the cops in Kinjite. Once Bronson's daughter gets molested, yeah, they act like it's not a big deal. Ah, love, let us be true to one another. For the world, which seems to lie before us like a land of dreams, so various, so beautiful, so new. So boring. (laughs) What do you think the poet is talking about here? Yes, Cindy. A day at the beach? I think he had a little more on his mind than that. How come this book ain't got no real poetry? And what's real poetry, Richie? Uh, You know, stuff that makes sense. Give us an example. Come on, Richie, put up or shut up. You want a real poem? A real poem? Okay. Yeah, come on. Here it goes, an original. Disco sucks. Punk is dead. Give me rock! Don't give me head. Now, wait a minute. Richie's right in his own way. What he's just recited is real poetry. It has a rhythm, it rhymes, and it has meaning. Now, according to this poem, what place does rock and roll have in this poet's life? Richie? I don't know. I guess it's real important. As important as what? As important as getting head. (laughs) Sit down, Richie. Yeah. Maria, what does getting head mean? Oh, young. I don't think I should be talking about that stuff in school. Just like doing it, right? Go ahead, Maria, talk about it. I give you permission. Well, I think it has something to do with sex. (laughs) And what word rhymes with head? Bobby. Dead. Now, how do sex and death connect? Francine? Sort of like till death do his part, like sex and death last forever, like love. Okay, now we're talking about romance. I like that one. Okay, for tomorrow, I want you to look through chapter five and come up with other references to love and death. Brenda, can I see you for a couple of minutes after class?
I just wanted to tell you how sorry I am about your sister. How is she? The doctors don't know anything. Brenda, I want you to know if you need someone to talk to, I'm here. Look, Miss Young, I know you mean well. You're a good teacher. But this has nothing to do with you. Stay out of it. Brenda, you can't take the whole world on by yourself. You see us maybe one or two hours a day. You don't know anything. I do think that the lack of empathy is jarring. Because let's be honest, there's no investigation or yeah. anything that we see. It's like people acted like this just didn't happen. I you think if it happened it now, be, this would be a... You would expect it to be like the Twin Peaks pilot where everyone's in disarray. People are crying. Like There's announcements being made yeah. about canceling school. No, everyone just goes around fucking around in class. I know, antagonizing yeah. the sister of the girl. <laughs> anyway, they're discussing poetry in the English class. And it doesn't really have anything to do with the story. It's one of those things where the kids are like, poetry is lame and boring. Why don't they ever talk about anything that matters? And they have the one rock kid make music. up a poem. Yeah. And he says, disco sucks, punk is dead, give me rock or give me head. Much to the delight of the class. And the teacher goes with it and mm-hmm. says that, okay, yeah, that's a good example. And then they actually like break it down as if it's a real poem and stuff. Yeah. I just really like that. <laughs> Did that remind you of your like literature classes in college? <laughs> yeah, except that would be me saying that. And everyone would be like, aren't you 40 years old? Get out of here. Cindy and Brenda brawl yet again, this time right in the middle of biology class. It goes a little farther this time. In a way, our, our inner feminist weeps. Ladies, stop fighting each other. There's a bigger villain at play in this world. <laughs> These two are just always at each other's throats. There's always something a little bit sexual going on with their fights. The first time Cindy was in bra and underwear and is, like, getting wet from the shower. <laughs> yeah, for some reason when they were fighting, the showers were on, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be terrified of Brenda. Sometimes when she talks, you can hear Regan from The Exorcist creep in. I, I'm terrified of everyone in this school, to be honest. <laughs> Students and teachers. So they start fighting right in the middle of class. That dude, Wes, Cindy's boyfriend, he's restraining the teacher so that he can't break it up. (laughs) It's like that scene in Anchorman. Yeah. (laughs) Let him work it out. (laughs) And then Brenda rips Cindy's top off. Full exposed breasts. Of course, she gets up, still exposed, Mm -hmm. running around. It's completely ridiculous. Seems like it would be mortifying, but she kind of goes with it. Well, she just run out of the room. Yeah, I have to say, this did happen at my high school at least twice. Wow. And I don't think I went to that wild and crazy of a high school, but... It just became a thing after this movie. <laughs> yeah, everyone in my high school was talking about Savage Streets. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to emulate it. <laughs> yeah, that I just would be remember wild to see, though. There were rarely girl fights, but when there were, everyone would be yelling, rip her shirt off. Oh, no. It was a guarantee. Yeah. never never in my life did i experience that although the one girl fight that i was aware of was like pretty brutal yeah there was a real brutal one but that was when i was in middle school wow (laughs) that involved a lock and a lot of blood there were definitely weapons in the one i was aware of too yeah girls are mean i know (laughs) yeah really (laughs) the principal underwood much like 
the many men of Kinjite not particularly sympathetic to what happened to Heather. As I said, I think that if this happened now, it would hopefully be a big deal. Hopefully a national crisis would be going on, right? I think so. Or are we still at the point where it would be swept under the rug? No, I think it would be a national crisis. Hopefully. I'm sorry about your sister, Brenda. The police are doing everything they can. But she shouldn't have been there in the first place. Fuck you. You're a tough little bitch, aren't you? I like that. But I don't give second warnings. So consider yourself suspended. I'm never gonna get out of this place. Yes, you will. Brenda, we're behind you 100%. We're here. Yeah. yeah we'll work it out. You. Come on. Yeah, all right, all right. Let's get organized. Francie, you and I are gonna go pick up your dress. Shit, do I have to do it now? I can't handle it. We don't pick up your dress. You're gonna be walking down the aisle bare ass. <clears throat> Brenda, we'll meet you guys at the MX Club at 4.30. Then we'll go see Heather. Everybody got that? Yes, got mother. Okay, come on. Come on. Don't tell me we're coming. Hey, kid. On, Nothing's gonna ruin your big day. Okay? After Francine has a dress fitting for her impending wedding, she is spotted and then stalked by the Scars, who chase her through an industrial section of the city before they eventually catch up with her on a bridge. Vince pleads with Jake but he picks Francine up anyway and throws her off of the bridge. Jake does, killing her instantly. Vince freaks out and cuts ties with the scars. So this is nuts, right? <laughs> yeah. They've already done pretty much the worst thing you could imagine in a very brutal and terrifying and harrowing scene. Yep. And now they've escalated it to straight murder in broad daylight. Right. There was no, like, wow, we went a little far with that last thing. Like, there's no feeling of... Except for Vince. Yeah, except for Vince. Red, the... Fargo, and Jake are stone-cold Oh, yeah. Psychopaths. They're ready to up it, to just... They do not care. Murder. Violent murder. Horrific. Throwing someone over a bridge. And they gleefully oh. laugh about the details later in the movie. They can't get enough of how great it was. Yeah, that's insane. There's a lot of hilarity to unpack, too. There's traffic on the bridge that seems to be approaching and passing them at various points. Nobody stops. They're not concerned about witnesses at all. And I guess the thinking was probably, well, who cares? It makes it look like society is that fucked. Mm -hmm. They wanted it to look like people were passing and not caring because that fits into the story. Right. Which is also sort of like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess the dress shop was near this industrial part of the city. I think that was which is where for the filming location purposes. Yeah, I don't know though. Yeah. Like, well, that's just it where the, weird that where their hangout is in that textile mill. All the girls <laughs> are there, like picking out the dress, and then she's like walking off by herself into a part of town that there is not a soul in sight for miles yeah it's and actually, just a car slowly creeping behind yeah, her it's a pretty funny visual because there's no one around and the car is slowly following her and she never turns yeah. around <laughs> but in case you were wondering i don't know how you could be mm -hmm. after what's already transpired but savage streets does not pull any punches this totally. is who wow so after they toss francine from the bridge again no cops 
No. It seems like there's several witnesses. There are cars driving by when this happens. I know. There's never an investigation. No one's like, holy shit, that guy's holding a girl above his head. He's going to toss her off the bridge. Let's try to stop him. <laughs> yeah. Later, Brenda encounters Vince tearfully apologizing to the comatose Heather in her hospital room. Keep in mind, at this point, Brenda and the other girls do not yet know what happened to Francine, and it will take them a while to find out. But this pretty much confirms what you would think that they would have already expected. I don't mm-hmm. know who the other suspects would be. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this movie doesn't really offer any other potential suspects. Heather. I didn't want to do it. I mean, it all happened so fast, you know? I mean, Jake and Fogg, are they, oh, they know. They know what it's to be tough. I'm just their friend. I just hang around them. But no more. I'm sorry. I didn't want to hurt you. You just put me there. You just threw me on top of you. They went through all this time. No! Damn, son of a bitch! No! 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 Because of various delays and issues in production, including finding a new director at the beginning, Some cast members pursued other projects. Deborah Blee, who plays Rachel, just sort of drops out of the story during the second half. (laughs) Although, to be fair, the Satins in general kind of drop out during the climax of the movie. Totally. You don't see any of them for the final 20 minutes. It becomes the Brenda show. Other than the final, final scene, it's not really that noticeable that they lose one of the girls because the gang's kind of big anyway. In case you were concerned, there is a little gratuitous nudity of Linda Blair in a bathtub in a scene that just sort of goes on forever just as it's zooming in on her. panning in. It pans in on her face, but it's very slow, and she's just sitting there. In the tub, smoking a cig. <laughs> <laughs> the music is ramping up. Yep. And then right out of the tub, she starts zipping up that leotard outfit. She's got like this real... Like vampy a, avenger outfit yeah like a sexy vengeance yeah I, i'm going out for some vengeance tonight think olivia newton john at the end of race right. yeah <laughs> pretty much exactly that <laughs> that night brenda confronts vince at his house at knife point where he admits the scars have murdered francine while he's mid packing his bags <laughs> he's a high school his dad wasn't even going to let Brenda in because he's like, yo, he's not allowed to have visitors on school nights. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's heading for the edge of town. <laughs> he's got to fly down to Barbados yeah. till the whole thing blows over. He's going to Belize. One thing that 
Savage Streets has that's really fucking great is a banger of a song called Justice for One. Totally. That I was saying to you, I feel like could have been a hit if it would have been in a real movie, an actual big movie. It could have been a soundtrack of the 80s type song, I yeah. felt like. <laughs> it's a certified banger. <laughs> I was getting hyped. <laughs> yeah, I'm still like reeling from how hyped I was after the song blasted. Seeking vengeance, an enraged Brenda returns to Hollywood Boulevard and snags a crossbow and some bear traps. Yeah, very specific weapons. A very specific store to be across the street from Musso and Frank's (laughs) that just sells bear traps. Well, you know, an eclectic (laughs) mix of people rolling down Hollywood Boulevard. What is this store? It seems like an odd location for a hunting store. I think so. Is it an all-purpose weapons store? I guess so. Which you would think would be primarily for, like, movie props. <laughs> People are heading out to the hills to hunt mountain lions. I guess. She then ventures into a sparsely populated section of the city where she locates Fargo and Red, who, for some reason, are newly separated from Jake for at least the moment. I, this doesn't make any sense other than just for the plot. There's some tension amongst the group. I don't know why, though. No. Jake is just moody. Jake wants to handle the Vince problem on his own. Yeah. I need to do this myself. Well, there's definitely some weird homoerotic tension within the group. Oh, yeah. They're always grabbing each like other's kissing dicks. Kissing each or, other. Yeah, there was that kiss part, which <laughs> yeah. is very strange. Their hideout is this abandoned textiles warehouse. This is the one where I guess they, they caught Francine near. I don't know. I don't know what's going on on this side of the city, but... This building where they hang out, it has product in it. I don't know why, if it was abandoned, there would be this much stuff in there. No. Brenda taunts the two men, luring them inside the warehouse, and then the movie does really bring out some 80s slasher vibes. But sort of like I Spit on Your Grave, it's the reverse slasher, where now the good guy, the heroine, the Avenger, is the one stalking them like a slasher in a slasher film, Mm -hmm. and the villains are afraid and not sure what's going on and caught off guard by the whole thing because she's set up this whole thing where there's a tape recorder of her playing and i don't really know it's like it's very elaborate (laughs) it is yeah it's a big plan she's got going here she's got to fake them out meanwhile fargo yelling about hiding the salami and playing hiding the salami with her saying i'm gonna hide that salami so far up you that goddamn christopher columbus couldn't find it Uh uh-huh not a bad line. These guys are a little too overconfident, though. Not a bad line. <laughs> Come on, Jake. We're supposed to be in this together. Yeah, the least you can do is let us watch. Just shut the fuck up and get out, will ya? I said get out! 
take, man. You know what? That son of a bitch is starting to piss me off. There ain't nothing wrong with us watching. Hey, you want to bitch about Jake, you bitch about Jake to Jake, not to me. <laughs> Come on, let's go, man. Tell me, man, don't worry about Jake. He's okay. Didn't he give you sloppy seconds with the retard? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he let you watch that broad take flying lessons in a cement? <laughs> you know something, Red? It was very, very neat the way she bounced when she hit that concrete. Bam! What the fuck is that? Welcome home. Assholes. You must be out of your mind coming here. Maybe she's looking for a little bit of what we gave her sister, huh? <laughs> Maybe she's looking for a whole lot more of what we gave her sister. How about it, Brenda? The both of us at once, baby. You're gonna love it. Hey. What is it? Wait a minute, man. I don't like it. Something's weird. What's the matter, boys? You get a little girl all hot and horny, then lose your nerve? What a shame. I'm gonna fuck that bitch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Brenda! Brenda! <laughs> There's only one way in and one way out, baby. You're laughing, huh, bitch? Okay, fuckface. You're not gonna be laughing when we get food. <laughs> Brenda! We're gonna play a little game, baby. I just love funny games. The game we got in mind is called Hide the Salami. You like Hide the Salami, don't you, Brenda? All you fucking cunts like hide the salami! Hide the salami. I'm gonna hide that fucking salami so far up you. Goddamn Christopher Columbus couldn't find it. Ha, 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 ha. 
She came loaded for bear. You're gonna catch a bear. Biggest fucking bear you ever saw. Quit messing around, Fargo. Where are you? Well, well, well. Look who's here. The game's over, bitch. This time you're dead for sure. First, I'm gonna fuck you. And then, I'm gonna slice you into little pieces. Sounds nice and kinky to me. Too bad you're not double-jointed. Why? Because if you were, you'd be able to bend over and kiss your ass goodbye. Brenda kills Fargo by shooting him through the neck with the crossbow before dispatching of Red by snapping a bear trap over his throat. He actually kind of just falls into it. Yeah, not a great showing by him. <laughs> I guess both of these deaths are a little unsatisfying. Yeah, especially if you are working in the shadow of I Spit on Your Grave, which always would come up with these gnarly ways to kill mm-hmm. the rapists in both the remake and the Ridge. One guy gets his dick cut off in the... Actually, that probably happens in both, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little weak. You want it a little more. I know. But I will say that when she gets to Jake, it's a little bit more drawn out, and then... Totally. It would be a pretty awful way to go. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jake finds Vince in a nearby alley and kills him by hitting him with his car. So yeah, Jake had his suitcase packed. He was saying goodbye to his girl. Yep. I love how he has a girlfriend. Yeah, why is he even spending time with this gang? I know, and the gang was acting like they were doing something for him by having him I know. rape the girl first or something. It's, it's very it's bizarre. Just, it's a good lesson. We're all just one mistake away from ruining everything. What does that mean? <laughs> Vince had this whole other life. <laughs> everything well, was going to be fine if he hadn't gotten mixed up with I, these clowns. I don't know. I think raping a, a deaf mute girl is more than just a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> well, I meant the mistake was hanging out with this gang. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm glad we went back and cleaned that up yeah, a yeah, little yeah, bit. Yeah. I was getting a little nervous. <laughs> Jake then returns to the warehouse for some reason. I guess this is their hangout. I guess he was supposed to meet back up with them. It's never really clear, though. A lot of the specifics just sort of happen. <laughs> yeah. And he discovers Red and Fargo already dead. Brenda then makes her presence known, but she remains concealed to Jake, who begins firing a pistol wildly into the darkness. Imagine just getting hit with a stray bullet because of this bullshit going on. That would be me. (laughs) I'd be that biology teacher that just gets ignored, (laughs) and then when there's a fight in the class, I get held back by the students and I can't even break it up. (laughs) You just, like, break several bones being held by a student. (laughs) Brenda incapacitates Jake by shooting him in the legs with the crossbow before trapping him with a rope around his ankles, which hangs him upside down. When she's delivering her big vengeance speech, Jake manages to escape somehow and momentarily gets the upper hand, but Brenda stabs him with a hunting knife. Both of them struggle to their feet, and then Jake pursues Brenda, finally cornering her inside of a paint store. While the store's burglar alarm blares, Brenda douses Jake with paint before setting him on fire. Police arrive as the engulfed Jake stumbles out of the store and dies in the street. Now, would Brenda get arrested for this? Evidently not, (laughs) because she doesn't. Yeah. 
Not sure why Brenda seemed so much more scared of Jake once he was fucked up and could barely move. She's so confident and in control at the beginning. And then once he's really injured, because he's been shot by two arrows and stabbed. Well, she just gets surprised because she thought she had him, you know, dead to rights. And then I guess it goes off the rails a little bit. That's the first time that her plan had broken down. And then we're just in the wild at that point. It's a risky move she pulls, too, because by the time the lighter is in the mix, she's covered in paint, too. It felt like both of them could have gone right up. Oh, no. (laughs) But I guess what choice did she have? She Either that or get strangled. Police investigation? Don't worry about it. (laughs) It's not a big deal at all. Don't worry about it. The cops are busy. These people don't matter. (laughs) Forget it. Sometime later, Brenda... Heather and the surviving members of the Satins visit Francine's grave. Someone's like, wait, Francine is dead? Everyone else is just learning about yeah. it. When was her funeral? What the fuck? <laughs> Brenda's just like, you know what? There's too many members in this group. I can't remember to tell you all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't have a group text. <laughs> Satins group text. <laughs> I guess we should also point out that this movie has a deaf mute character, and even though she is in a coma for a lot of it she does factor into the beginning and the movie can't quite seem to figure out what they want to do with her or anything else really good at reading lips yeah but then other times it's like she doesn't understand and other times she does and i actually was paying attention to it too there's times where she's supposed to be reading lips but the person talking to her isn't actually looking at her yeah (laughs) brenda at the grave of her friend laments at least we made things right. To which Stevie responds, No, Brenda, you made things right. <laughs> Freeze frame. Credits. Imagine if this happened to you and your friend group. One of you just got murdered by getting thrown off of a bridge. <laughs> what? Everyone's ready to move on pretty quickly. I know. She was ready to start a life with that guy. Yeah. They were going to have a farm. I know. Where is that guy? I don't know. He probably killed himself. Yeah. He jumped off that same bridge. Yeah. I didn't realize how dark some of these movies really were until you start actually thinking about it for talking about on a podcast and making notes and going beat by beat through everything that happens. I am actually a little bit horrified by how trashy some of these movies are. Totally. Because what is the redeeming quality of a movie like this? You want to try to take them for the spirit of which they're intended, which is just to be pushing the envelope and kind well, of be over the Yeah, top. they're just supposed to titillate, which right. is why they're exploiting things that you really shouldn't exploit. Yeah, yeah. Like rape and all these different things. We know that. That's just part of the genre, and unfortunately or fortunately or whatever, it was a thing that happened. It's not really how most movies are now. No. There's really not a lot of rape revenge unless it's done under the more art house version which right. would probably be the nightingale which was one of the most grim movies but i really liked it i still haven't watched it because of your explanation of it to me and then that movie revenge that french movie from mm-hmm. a couple years ago oh, yeah yeah we watched that so they still make them and the i spit on your grave remake is what about a decade old at this point uh-huh. it's probably about 10 years or a little maybe a little more but that was part of the horror remake run. <laughs> I don't know that we're going to do a lot more rape revenge type movies. Yeah, it's, it's tough to talk about. Unsettling. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really consider how dark some of this stuff was 
just in like trying to remember which movies I thought were crazy or weird. And this one definitely stood out. When you watch a lot of these types of movies, most of them blur together and they're really bad and forgettable. This movie is bad, but kind of unforgettable in a way. Yeah, I think so. I actually like Linda Blair's performance, even though I can kind of tell that it's not always the best acting, but she does bring some sort of weird. I know. I want to see this other movie now. What is it? Savage Island? I don't think it's really like this one. No. But I don't know. I'm sure it's still Savage, though. Yeah. She's got that part down. Well, I can let you borrow Hell Knight if you want. Okay, yeah. Which brings me to my first recommendation. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent, stop making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. So we'll get into the segments already. We'll keep this one nice and short. You know, it's a nice mix this month. Yeah. Wild Things was a little longer, some of them a little shorter. Yeah. I don't know that Savage Streets really deserves too long of a discussion. (laughs) (laughs) If you like this type of movie and you can handle it, then I would recommend checking it out because it is sort of crazy and entertaining in its own weird, fucked up way. But if this isn't your thing at all, then yeah, this is a, probably a little too sleazy for most people, totally. I would say. But yes, Linda Blair also starred in Hell Knight, which I believe came out in 1981. I wouldn't really classify that as an exploitation film. It's more of just a standard horror film. Mm-hmm. For example, Scream Factory put out a Blu-ray. It's on Shudder, Tubi, Roku Channel, Peacock, Freevee, all for free. So there's a lot of choices for Hell Knight. It's one of those underseen 80s horror films. I like it because it's mostly in one location, kind of this big spooky house. Kids, I think, get locked inside. I kind of forget the general plot, but I remember kind of enjoying it. So if you want to check out more Linda Blair from this era, I would recommend Hell Knight. Did you have any recommendations? Yeah, because I have another one, but okay. I don't know if you want to go back and forth. Or... All right, sure. So I watched a movie this morning. Okay. Magic Mike's Last Dance. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is getting a recommendation. Streaming on Max. Well, I will say I didn't like it, but... <laughs> oh, so it's not a recommendation. Uh, well, tell us about it. It's worth it. watching, I think. I actually enjoyed Magic Mike, the original. Me too. The second film, which is what? Magic Mike XXL? Yeah, yeah. I didn't really like it I, I thought it was sort of a pointless movie which yeah reminded me a lot of other pointless sequels like american pie 2 and stuff like that where you're like what is the point of this well this continues that trend because the story is absolutely insane <laughs> but i will say it's just fun to watch channing tatum take his shirt off and <laughs> dance <laughs> okay i mean all some, right one trashy summer yeah, yeah i felt like this kind of for the ladies i felt like it kind of fit the vibe Selma Hayek, she's kind of in that Jennifer Lopez class of still just a stunner. (laughs) Ageless beauty. Yeah. But the premise of this one is so insane. I was actually stunned to see that Steven Soderbergh actually directed this one, too. I I didn't catch that when we saw the trailer. Yeah. Which kind of has that feel of, like, I don't know what else to do at this point, so I'm just going to make another Magic Mike movie, because he didn't direct the first sequel. I, I don't know. They probably just offered him money. I guess, yeah. Because he had that other movie that came out directly on... He had at least two, I think, that came directly on HBO Max. Yeah. Which and were, this movie was sort of tied in with that, too. Because I yeah. think that's where it's on now, right? That's where I watched it, yeah. on, on Max, which I'm still getting used to calling it that. Right. 
come on, it's it's kind of fun. Is Kevin Nash in it? The crew's no? not really in it. They have one scene where they're in a Zoom call. Because oh. basically the whole thing takes place in London. <laughs> yeah, I remember that from the trailer. Yeah, which is weird. So it's a whole new like dancing crew, but then none of them are really like characters like the other crew was. They're all just sort of... Oh, boy. Yeah. But just such a strange series to exist. I- I'm with you in-, in that I liked the first one. I think the second one, while pointless, was actually more fun than this one because you did have that whole crew dynamic still. Yeah, and that scene where they're at Andy McDowell's house yeah. is kind of good. <laughs> <laughs> There's some good funny stuff in this one, but it's probably what you would expect from the trailer. Well, it's hard to top that, but I'll just yeah. give another quick recommendation. If you like these kind of movies, but you don't want it to be quite as horrifying and quite as sleazy, I would say Class of 1984 has a very similar vibe. It seems like it takes place in that same semi-post-apocalyptic 80s that these movies look like, mm-hmm. where everything has graffiti on it, and everybody dresses like they are into punk or metal. You know, that right, kind of right. world. Yes. Class of 1984, Peacock, Tubi, Freebie, Roku Channel, same ones except for Shudder. Those two, Hell Knight, Class of 1984, kind of the same vibe. We're not going to do an email this week. Oh, bummer. So we'll move on to Physical Media Spotlight, or PMS, as the kids are calling it. Oh. (laughs) She's never seen a single Paul Walker movie? That's a huge oh-no-no. She also doesn't care about Blu-ray. She's a monster. I don't know exactly where you can get this. I think it's maybe going to pop up at some retailers now, because it wasn't available anymore on Vinegar Syndrome's site, but I guess maybe it it will be once the pre-orders are sold. I don't know. But if you can get your hands on the Vinegar Syndrome Showgirls 4K release that just came out. It's staring at me right now. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, I really like yeah. the work they put into the packaging for the Vinegar Syndrome 4K line, which has an unbelievable Roadhouse release. Definitely. And a really great Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 release, in addition to some other movies. I don't really like the Beastmaster, but I do have it. Mm. That one as well. But yeah, Showgirls and Roadhouse, those are on your roster for your big 4K releases. Sign me up. <laughs> and originally, when we first started talking about doing revisited episodes, the mindset of, well, how recent can we go for movies that we're going to redo? And I think originally I said episode 100, which is yeah. Jaws. But now I'm thinking we got to go to at least Showgirls because we probably should redo showgirls at some point probably I think it would be fun yeah so that's that's as far as we'll go as far as revisited in case anyone was curious but yeah the packaging is cool it comes with a great booklet check it out definitely if, you, if you're into physical media it's worth snagging because it's awesome right there may be like a regular edition coming down the pike that doesn't have the fancy packaging or whatever but anywho that'll do it for savage streets Like I said, if you'd like to check it out, maybe sample a little bit on YouTube, and maybe if you like it, then you could buy the Blu-ray. You'd have to be a sick fuck like us, though, to actually (laughs) want to buy a Blu-ray of a movie like this. (laughs) Follow the show on Twitter, at GreatestPod. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you get a chance, please send us an email. We'd like to have some to read on the show. Greatestpod at gmail.com. Greatestpod at gmail.com. Any kind of questions, comments, concerns, 
We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like a free sticker or have a listener request, you can let us know there or on Twitter. And finally, find us on Letterboxd. I haven't even been really logging everything yeah. at this point. I gotta, right. I gotta catch back up. But Zach, nineteen eighty three, Matt Crosby on there. Thank you so much for listening. For those of you who have had enough of this trashy bullshit, we're almost well, there. One more yeah. left, and then July we have some pretty mage big time titles. I think our downloads should probably go back up. I would think, <laughs> yeah. unless everyone's completely abandoned us at this point. Just like enough of this BS. Kinjite was the last straw. <laughs> <Yeah>. No more. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon. I've heard there's a lot of nudity, and I mean a lot. And when I say a lot, I don't just mean a whiff of tit. I mean the full rack. Full boobies, 
full bonus, the full display.